Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. The book of Revelation, chapter 3. We started this last week with the book of Sardis, or the church at Sardis, the letter. Talked about the church in the time when it was sleeping. After going through its established time, it has come to a time of sleeping and rest. But also at that particular time in church age and church history that's represented by the church at Sardis is a time of great reformation and change that happens within the church. And so today I want to do something a little different than what I typically would do. I want to talk to you a little bit about church and Christian history. Because I want you to understand that what we enjoy today and what we hold dear today and privileges we have today did not come easy. Because there were times of reformation and change that took place in order for us to have the freedoms and the understanding that we do today. I take that from the passage here in chapter 3. Two verses I want to read again about the church at Sardis. The first of those is in verse 1 when Jesus described himself and said, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. And then in verse 4 that we didn't cover last week, Jesus said about the church at Sardis, even though it was a sleeping church and needed to wake up and needed to remember and repent and to be renewed and revived, he said this in verse 4, But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. For they are worthy. I read that first uh, verse of chapter 3, primarily because of things he says, there are seven spirits, and he says he has the seven stars in his hand. Now, we know that the word seven is complete or perfect, And we know that when it talks about the Spirit of God, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit that Jesus says he has. And also the seven stars, the messengers to the church he has in his hand. Today I want to take that theme and I want to talk to you about the fact that in the seven spirits, it's talking about seven truths. The Spirit of God is identified as the Spirit of truth. What he speaks, he speaks in truth. He reveals truth. He defends the truth. And and therefore, I just want to talk to you about seven truths that, that come about and seven realities that come about today that we enjoy in our faith and our walk that happened in this particular period of time that, that helped us to identify those seven truths. And then it says the seven stars that he has in his hands, the seven messengers. I just want to help you to understand or to recognize Seven people who are stars in this time in the church era, the Reformation. Some people you will know and some people you do not know. But I think it's helpful for you and me to understand who these people are and the great sacrifice they made in order for us to enjoy what we enjoy today. First of all, let's talk about the seven truths that the Holy Spirit revealed, at least seven of those truths during this time that we hold dear today. The first of those things is this. We believe in the authority of Scripture over tradition. 
We believe in the authority of Scripture, the Word of God, over tradition. Remember what had happened in the church, the established church. They had developed many, many different traditions, and they began to hold the traditions of greater value than Scripture. Matter of fact, they would let tradition over range and overpower the Scripture that was there. But during the time of the Reformation, during this particular period in church history, it's whenever people were called back to the Word of God. They were called back to the authority of the Word, and therefore, Scripture was elevated, it was lifted up, it was thought to be important, and it was far more important than any tradition. That would have been in the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, or the Baptist Church. Amen? The Scripture is the most important thing and has the greatest authority. Second thing is this. The importance of the Bible being available to every person. Almost every one of you have a Bible in your hands today, and what a privilege that is. That came at a dear price and a dear cost. Or see, at this particular time in the church, the church didn't want people to have the Bible in their hand. Rather, the church wanted to interpret the Bible for the people. Wanted to tell the people what the Bible said. But that wasn't the way God intended it to be. God intended that every person would be able to read the Scripture, hold the Scripture, have the Scripture. And the fact that you have it today and, and the Bible is available to you today and that you can read the Bible and memorize the Bible, study the Bible, and allow the Bible to be a vital part of your life and family is because of what took place in, in the Reformation time of coming back to the importance of every person having the Bible available to them. A third truth is this. The belief that God speaks to individual believers and the church was not to be the sole interpreter of the Bible. Well, I, I hope that you hold that dear. Don't you believe that God talks to individual people? If not, why would we pray? I mean, we pray because we're talking to God and God is talking to us. And we believe we communicate with God. And we don't need anyone. We don't need anyone. We don't need the church to help us to understand what the Bible says. We're not, we don't need the church to tell us what it, it means. We have the privilege of God speaking to our individual hearts and our individual lives and, and giving us the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to help us to understand that and interpret that. A fourth principle that was developed in this particular time and restored this time was that salvation was by grace through faith, not good works. Now, I hope you as Baptists would say amen to that. Amen. I mean, we Baptists are going to stand on that one. We're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Not of good works, lest any man should boast. But see, at this particular time in church history, the church had begun to promote the fact that people were saved, yes, what Jesus did on the cross, but they were also saved by good works and good merit in what they did. But that's not true. Our good works is as filthy rags when it comes to salvation. Our good works cannot measure up... Our stand before God is totally the grace of God and our faith in that grace that God gives to us. A fifth thing is this, that there was no need for a priest to be the mediator. There is one mediator, and that is Jesus Christ. I don't have to go to a priest to be able to talk to Jesus. I can talk to him right here, right now. He's the great high priest. He's the one who shed his blood. He's the one who makes it available, and I don't need anyone to be my mediator. Jesus is the sole mediator between each of us and God. A sixth thing 
is that there was no such place as purgatory and a need to pray for the dead. You do not find any concept of purgatory in the word of God. You find that there is a living or existence, an eternal existence for man, either in a place called heaven or a place called hell. But there's no mid-place to where you're not quite good enough to get to heaven or you're not quite bad enough to go to hell. It's going to determine whether you go which way based on what somebody does for you once you get there. And one of those things was to pray for the dead, that we pray that the dead would be able to go from purgatory into heaven. That is not found in the Bible and is not the truth. Listen, my friend, make the decision of what you're going to do, where you're going to go, and what's going to happen to you before you die. Because once you are dead, there is no other option. You will determine your destiny while you are here. While there is breath, there is hope. And whenever there is no breath, there is no hope for that person anymore. There is no such thing as purgatory or the praying for the dead to get out of purgatory and to go to heaven. And the seventh thing is this. The authority and the Pope and the rejection of his authority and his infallibility. We do not feel like the Pope is the ultimate authority. We feel like Jesus is the ultimate authority. Amen? He's the authority. He's the head of the church. And we certainly do not believe that any man other than Jesus and his word is infallible. We all have faults. We all have needs. We're all fallible. And therefore, we reject that authority, reject that infallibility of a, position, a person, our position, other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Every one of those themes, every one of those truths was battled over and paid dearly for in this particular time of church history, the time of the Reformation. If you look at that chart where it talks about the church at Sardis, it is the church that's asleep, but it's a church of reformation. It's a church when many precious people, men, gave of their lives that you and I would have the word of God available to us and that we would know that we're saved by grace through faith. It's the time of the reformation. So I want to share with you this morning not only those great truths, but I want to share with you some people who paid some great prices in order for us to have those truths and hold dear those truths. I want to talk to you about seven stars. Seven stars, seven messengers in this particular time of the church that carried a great weight. Now, there are many, many more than just seven. But, but I want to give you seven examples of people who paid great prices for these truths to be established. Seven stars. You know, we're always talking about stars. There's, there's the Hollywood stars on their walk of fame, and then there's athletic stars, and these people that we honor and lift up. I'll tell you, the greatest stars that you can find are the stars in the kingdom. Amen? Those people who shine bright and those people who shine as stars in the kingdom. And, and what Jesus says in regard to the church at Sardis, he said, even though this church was, was asleep, he said in verse 4, there are a few people in Sardis who have not sold their garments. There are those that will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. They are worthy. Now, who are some of these who are worthy? Some you will know and others you may not know. First man I want to introduce you to is a name, his name is Peter Waldo. Peter Waldo lived in France in the 1170 time period. Peter Waldo was a, was a very wealthy merchant, and as he was walking along the street one day, he heard a Christian hymn 
being sung and he was intrigued by it. Don, it shows the power of a Christian hymn, amen? He heard the hymn being sung and he was intrigued by the message of that song. He was so intrigued that because he had the means, he hired two scholars who would translate the Bible from the original language into his language for him personally. So those scholars went to work and they translated the entire Bible in the language, his native language, so he could read the Word of God. As he began to read and he got to the Gospels, he was converted miraculously by the hand of Jesus. Reading the Gospels of what had happened, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior, and immediately began to preach the good news of Jesus. Anywhere and everywhere he went, he preached the good news. He believed so much in the transforming power of the gospel that he had those scholars, those same scholars, to translate the gospel and to put it in like a track where he could hand out the gospel in the native language of the people. And then those people who followed him, the Waldensians, the Waldensians who were followers his, they began to take scripture and they just began to share the scripture with everybody. And he trained some of those who followed him how to preach the riches of God's word to people everywhere. And they were making an impact in France. All over France, people were being converted and people were coming to faith in Christ because of the simple gospel plan and somebody taking time to share it. It got the attention of the church though. And the Pope actually called for a holy crusade against Waldo and all of his followers. And in that time they began to persecute them, to kill them, to destroy them. In the fact that over a short period of time more than one million of the Waldensians were killed because of their faith in Christ and because of them seeking to share the good news of the gospel with the people of their day. A second person that maybe you probably are familiar with, his name was John Wycliffe from England in 1300s. Wycliffe was the first person to translate the Bible into the English language. Now, you ought to say amen to that. (laughs) Because why? Because that's our language. He was the first one to translate the Bible out of its original languages into the English language where it could be written. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the Wycliffe, the original Wycliffe Bible, but you probably can't read it very well because it's old English and a lot of those words sure don't look like the words we use. But you can get some gist of what it says. Wycliffe, whenever he got the Bible in, in, our, in his language, he began to teach people how to memorize God's word, to hide God's word in their heart. He began to teach people how to preach the unsearchable riches of God. He began a movement of getting God's word out there and people talking more and more about God's word and about how to be saved. He actually died before the church could seize him and do anything towards him. But whenever they found out that he had died, they went and dug up the body of Wycliffe burned it publicly, and scattered the ashes on the river Swift. One theologian said, 
Isn't it interesting that if you follow the track of the River Swift where the ashes were strode upon it, it goes from river to river, eventually to the ocean. So Wycliffe's ashes were eventually going to be scattered all over the world. But said before his ashes could make it all over the world, his Bible and his message that he preached preceded the ashes around the world. Because his Bible and the people sharing the gospel kept growing and growing and moving and working. The third person I'd like for you to be introduced to is a man named John Huss. John Huss read Wycliffe's Bible. He was from Bohemia in 1367. When he read the translation of Wycliffe's Bible, he became a bold evangelist in Bohemia. He was converted and through his preaching, he converted literally thousands and thousands of people came to faith because of his sharing Christ. The church called him before the Council of Constance. Now they assured him, he knew that the church was looking for him, but they assured him that if he would come to the council to debate his position, that he would be protected and would be safe for his life. But when he got there and began to defend his position, the Pope decided that the church did not and was not obligated to keep its word to a heretic. And so they condemned him to death. He was condemned to burn at the stake. They put a crown on his head and wrote on it, The Great Heretic. John Huss, as he made his way to the stake to be burned, he said these words, With joy I wear the crown of shame for the love of him who wore the crown of thorns. Did you hear that? With joy I wear the crown of shame for the love of him who wore the crown of thorns. And it's recorded that as the flames began to engulf him, he sang a hymn and he prayed. Another man is named Felix Mance. Felix Mance lived in the 1500s and he was from Zurich, Switzerland. Mance was actually the son of a priest who served in the church. But when Mance began to read the scriptures in its original language, he was so moved by the Spirit of God that he was converted and he became a Baptist. He began to preach God's word and expound the word of God and people by the thousands began to listen and turn to God. He was brought before the council of the church and was condemned to death. They brought him to the Lamont River and said, So he likes water? Let's give him lots of water. And they drowned him there in the Lamont River. Why? For sharing his faith. Why? For believing in the word of God. That it's true and it's for all people. One that I don't have a picture of, his name was John Brown. He, he was a member of what was called the Covenanters in Scotland. The Covenanters were poor, humble people who gathered together to do three things. They gathered together to study scriptures, to pray for one another, 
and to encourage one another in the faith. Did you hear what that said? They got together to, to study the scripture, to pray, and to encourage one another. It sounds like a D-life group, doesn't it? Isn't that what a discipleship group does today? I mean, we get together, we study God's word, we pray, and, and we encourage one another in our faith. That, that's all they did. In, in very humble circumstance, they did that. Well, one of the men who was one of the leaders of that group, a very humble, loving man, his name was John Brown. John Brown, it said, married a young lady named Isabel Weir, and they had one child. His job was primarily going from home to home to do these things, to read the Bible, to kneel in prayer in that home, and to teach the riches of the Lord. An emissary of the church was sent out to hunt him down. His name was Claverhouse. And Claverhouse, with a group of soldiers, hunted him down and found him. And they drug Brown from his house to face an execution squad of these six soldiers. They also brought his wife, Isabel, holding her baby in her arms, brought her out to be a witness to this man's execution. John Brown asked before he was executed if he could pray. They granted him permission and he knelt down on his knees and he prayed and then he stood up fearlessly, courageously as a man of God ought to stand. And the soldiers, when they had heard him pray and they watched this man, they refused to execute him only to have Claverhouse take out his pistol and shoot him in the head. The murderer then turns to the wife, Isabel, and said, What do you think about your fine husband now? And Isabel replied, Sir, I thought much good of him in life, and now much more in death. Did you hear her words? Sir, I thought much good of him in life, and now much more in death. Another that you may have heard of, his name is John Bunyan. John Bunyan lived in the 1600s, and he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you had a chance to read parts or sections of Pilgrim's Progress? I'm sure you did. It, along with the Bible, other than the Bible, is probably the most read spiritual book in all of history. John Bunyan was a Congregationalist preacher in England. He came into conflict with the king once that the Restoration started. The Restoration meant that the Anglican Church was being reestablished in all of its rules and power. And he came into conflict with the authorities and the king and the Anglican Church And he spent 12 years, from 1660 to 1672, 12 years he spent in prison. He spent his time in prison because he would not recant. He would not give up the fact that the Bible was the word of God and that all people should be hearing it and to believe it. He would not give up the fact that you are saved by grace through faith. All he had to do is recant and go and to follow the principles of the Anglican Church, and he could be free. But he refused to do it. 
He tells the story of watching through his prison bars to see one of his little daughters, a blind daughter, selling laces that he had made to help support the, support the poor preacher's family because he had been in prison all of those years. But it didn't matter to Bunyan. He refused to recant. And he held on to the faith. He held on to the life that Christ had led him to live. A seventh of those, and I say the one probably the most well-known, is Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Martin Luther was from Germany. He had prepared, a very intelligent, prepared to be a lawyer and had pursued that occupation. All the while, feeling in his heart there was something missing between his, him and his relationship with God. He could never find that peace with God that he wanted. When he was almost hit by lightning, he made a commitment to God that if he lived through that, that he would become a monk. And he lived through it and went to the monastery. He records that while he was in the monastery, he tried every way he possibly could to find peace with God. Every practice he could possibly practice, he went through the sacramental system of the church He took trips that ordinarily people would not take. He went through the whole process of trying to find peace with God. It was not until he was studying the New Testament, and as he studied the New Testament, especially the writings of Paul in Galatians and Romans, and when he began to study that, he came to realize that salvation is a gift. It is not something that you earn. It is not something that you deserve. He came to the realization that justification is by faith. The righteous, the just, shall live by faith. He eventually wrote the 95 theses and nailed them on the door of the church in Wittenberg on October the 31st of 1517. There were 95 points that he wanted to debate with the church regarding their stance and practices of indulgences and purgatory and a number of other things. Immediately when that happens, he becomes an enemy of the church. The church sets in motion that they would excommunicate him, which they did in 1517, but it never actually applied till 1521, which means that he was on the run from the church. He would have been killed except for the fact that his king, Frederick of Saxony, liked him and he gave him refuge in his, ca- in his castle, the Wattenberg Castle, and he was able to escape that death. But his life was constantly, constantly embattled because of his belief and his trust and his belief about faith in God, the way of salvation. There are others that you could read, Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin, or even the Anabaptists. I challenge you, Google Anabaptists. That's where you came from, the Anabaptists. All of those were reformers. All of those were people who stood up. All of those are people who had to pay a price that you and I have the privileges that we have today, that we have the opportunity that we have today to hold the Word of God, to have the Word of God, to read the Word of God, to know that salvation is by grace through faith. It's it's our privilege, our opportunity to know that we can go before the 
Almighty God, because of the shed blood of Jesus, these people paid a price. And we need to remember that. And that's why Jesus says about the church at Sardis in verse 4, but you have a few people in in Sardis who have not sold their garments. And what does he say? And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Let me tell you something. Do not feel sorry for these that we have talked about, for today they are walking in white with Jesus. Amen? Amen. They're walking in white with Jesus. And Jesus says this, for they are worthy. They are worthy. What does this have to do with us, and what does it challenge us to do? A couple of things. First of all, my friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need to give your heart to Christ. You're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works, but it is offered to you, and you can have that privilege of salvation. I pray that if you do not know him, you will give your heart to Jesus today. For that's what the gospel is all about. That's why God gave you his word to reveal to you that he loves you and cares for you. And he's done everything for you whereby you might be saved. And today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Give your heart to Christ today. Child of God, believer, brother or sister in Christ, what does it say to us? It says we have much to be thankful for. We have much to be thankful for that people have preceded us and been willing to pay a price whereby we can have the word of God and the truth of the word of God. And it made a difference in our life. And to remember what people have done before us. People who didn't soil their garments and they're walking in white today with Jesus for they are worthy. But also in our own hearts and life to to challenge us that we would be that kind of people. Amen? That we would be the star of this generation. That we would be the ones that are worthy this generation. Be the ones who walk in white when we go to be with Jesus. And we're not the ones who sold our garments but we are the ones who are walking in truth. And in and by the word of God. That God would be able to say about us one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Because in your time and in your generation where you are, you have stood for me and stood with me. And to make a commitment to remember what people have done for us, but to also blaze the path for the people who will follow us. And to make that a challenge in our hearts and our lives. And maybe it it ought to be a commitment just to spend a little time reading and studying. (laughs) Maybe just spend a little time of appreciating more and more of what people have done and God has done to bring us to where we are today and the opportunities that we have today. So that one day, we will be worthy. Amen? One day Jesus say, they are worthy. For they have walked with me and look forward to that glorious day when, as he promised, saw that that last week, we will have a chance to be dressed in white as well. Whatever God wants you to do, that's your opportunity, that's your privilege, and it is a privilege. He's given that to you and me. I pray that you and I will respond. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series.
Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.